but they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I got baptized at uh, Lake Minnetonka. Uh, I hit a couple backflips. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. My swag was having no swag. Hello, everyone, and welcome into another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast for this, the 3rd of November, breaking down all that goes into Minnesota sports here for the day. How's it going? I'm CJ Baumgartner. Got plenty going on in the world of Minnesota sports. Didn't have a podcast for the last couple days due to some uh, due to some issues uh, just kind of with timing and getting uh, schedules to work out. We're back, and we're going to get back to that daily flow here uh, real soon, uh, getting more stuff coming out tomorrow and, and Friday as well. So let's dive right in here. We have a lot to talk about with this game. Uh, and I think it kind of benefits because the initial emotion for the Vikings game, losing to Cooper Rush, I said this at the time. I You can go back on the podcast last week. I said, guys, you need to be careful. Dak Prescott being out of this game does not mean jack for the Vikings because they will actually play down to their competition. And it's not, not and because they won't take Cooper Rush seriously. And they will just be like, okay, well, let's just try and win and get by. Let's not stomp on the gas pedal. Let's be very conservative. Let's do just enough to win and pack it up and go home. And that's why they lost. So let's do a bit of a stock up, stock down here. We'll, we'll dive into more of this, but I just wanted to get that out of the way. Um, but when you look at the, uh, when you look here at the uh, stock up, stock down for the week, let's, uh, it's a bit of a negativity here. So let's go stock down for today. Stock down is Mike Zimmer's job status. And with uh, Mike Zimmer's job status here, uh, when talking about the uh, Mike Zimmer's job status, he's done. I, I think there's just no other better way to put it other than Mike Zimmer is done. Uh, formally, informally, that kind of thing. Mike Zimmer isn't, uh, he's not fired. He's not going to get fired in the next couple weeks unless things really go south. But when you look at Mike Zimmer, the era is officially over. It, it just is, and we'll talk about that more in a second. Stock up is, well, on the flip side, Eric Bieniemy, um, Brian Dable. Bieniemy is the offensive coordinator for Kansas City. Dable is the offensive coordinator for Buffalo Bills, both of whom are considered to be top uh, head coaching prospects on that list. So stock up for those guys because uh, they're – they're at least one job that they know will be open. No firings have taken place yet in the season. Uh, well, okay, John Gruden, but that was in terms of like purely like uh, firing because of poor performance, gone. Uh, so there's two jobs that will that are pretty certain to be open at the end of the year. Jacksonville probably will be as well. Uh, Urban Meyer is going to find some weird health issue uh, and then go to USC. But uh, those guys, any pers- any prospective head coaching candidate. Stock up for you guys, um, and especially an offensive-minded head coach, if uh, an offensive-minded coach in general, you get some, you got some stuff to work with. Whether you keep Kirk Cousins, whether you get a new young quarterback, Thielen still can play. Thielen, like he's shown, he's a wide receiver that can play into his 30s because of his style of play. It's built more on route running and and uh, just kind of like little things. It's very detail-oriented. You can see that sticking around Justin Jefferson. The same way, but he's in the prime of his career and will just keep developing. You still have Dalvin Cook. You still, like there, are, And then you have a couple pieces online. There are things you can do, but 
Anyway, that's a conversation for another day. Stock up is James Lynch. Uh, any of the other uh, – James Lynch at backup three technique, I should say. Sheldon Richardson, man, he – I was really excited to bring him back. He had a good season in Minnesota in 2018. And I thought, okay, even though he's not the player he once was, he can still be a rotational piece, and that'll be better because he can kind of come in. He'll be fresh, and he's a veteran guy. Man, you see why Cleveland cut him. He's not good anymore. He is – or at least he's just not clicking the way that it was a couple years ago. And nothing really changed on the Vikings' defensive line. Uh, Andre Patterson's still there. Mike Zimmer's still been running the defense. Nothing drastically changed with the Minnesota Vikings in terms of their defense. So he's just not it. He's not it. And it stinks because I like Sheldon Richardson. He was a good player. I was really happy when the Vikings brought him in. It's not working. Somebody like James Lynch, really any other lineman on the three techniques, so the interior offensive line, not the edge rushers, although that opens up now uh, with the uh, injury to to Daniel Hunter. But, yeah, it's been bad. Stock down, Garrett Bradbury. He's been serviceable in the run game throughout his entire career. He's been fine. But really, you make your salt in the NFL. You make your, you make your dough. You make your bag. Whatever word you want to use for your bread and butter is based on blocking in pass protection. Pass protection is how you make money in the NFL. You don't pay an offense. Brian O'Neill wasn't paid because he was a good run blocker. Brian O'Neill was paid because he's a great pass blocker. If we were going off guys based on just run blocking, Pat Elfline would still be here. Really. He was fine in run blocking. He was athletic. He could get out into space. But when you're, and that's a lot of times in run blocking, you're pulling, you're doing that kind of stuff. When it comes to Kirk Cousins needs about three to four seconds to throw, can you stop this giant oaf in the middle? And you can. And that's been Gary, Garrett Bradbury's problem his whole career. He's small for a center in, in, in terms of height. He's, he just gets pushed around. He gets pushed around by big nose tackles. When you have big interior defensive linemen, and most in the NFL are big. Big and athletic. There's, Pat Williams was a great player. I'm not trying to undersell his athleticism. But Linval Joseph in his prime, man, he, was, he wasn't he was even the best. I mean, he was one of the best. But he wasn't, on a bullet, the best nose tackle in football. And yet, there he was all the time making plays up the middle. And that's just the thing in the NFL. Big interior defensive linemen who are athletic are the thing. And Garrett Bradbury can't stack up. And that's the thing. He he just can't. And that's really going to impact the Vikings because Garrett Bradbury's got a fifth-year option coming up. The Vikings probably pick it up unless it's gone super downhill. You probably pick it up and then don't re-sign him. I think that's the way you go. You're not good unless a new GM comes in in a few months, which could happen as well. And then maybe they cut bait and try and move on. But in terms of keeping continuity and just having a, a, a talent, like a first-round pick in there, you, you might just keep him around, um, kind of like the Vikings did with Khalil. You pick up the fifth-year option, and you just you still don't even bother extending him, or at least you don't make it that big of a priority. All right, let's talk now about the Mike Zimmer era. And I've been saying this for weeks, and it really came up during the Detroit game because that's really when it reared its ugly head to the point where, like, okay, you really got to figure this out here because Vikings, and more specifically Mike Zimmer, when you play to not lose – you lose. I don't understand how this is such a hard concept. When you 
I don't want to say take opponents lightly, like the Vikings didn't go into that game thinking that they were just going to roll over and win, but that was the way the coaches brought the, is We should roll out and win. Let's do the bare minimum, and let's get in and get out. And I understand the gut-level appeal of that strategy. Let's be basic. Let's don't get too cute because if we get too cute, then we open the door for the other team to come in and take advantage of that and win. Let's just run a very vanilla game plan, and let's bank on our defense playing well and get out of here. And in 2019... That worked. In 2019, they won 10 games. But also in 2019, you lost to two backup quarterbacks. One with the eventual Super Bowl winning Kansas City Chiefs, but you had Matt Moore at quarterback. Another one was losing to the Bears at Soldier Field to Chase Daniel. And it's the same things. It's the Vikings get too conservative on offense. They don't get aggressive enough. They just assume that their defense is going to stop every drive, and the offense just needs to score 17 points. And you know what? In 2017, that worked. Because your defense was, if they would have won the Super Bowl, would have been considered one of the best defenses of all time. I think. But they didn't win the Super Bowl, so they don't, they don't deserve to get put in that conversation. But if not, they were one of the best Vikings defenses of all time. Certainly the best of the 21st century. I, I mean, you look at that team, and they could do it, but also they were aggressive on offense, by the way. You know, Mike Zimmer, you know, the thing I like about Case is he's got big balls. But, I, I mean, also just kind of went into the Case Keenum mentality of just bleep it, Diggs is up there somewhere, and it worked. But with the Vikings, they're not aggressive anymore. And the Zimmer era is baffling because I've talked about this on the podcast many, many, many times. When Zimmer is aggressive, he's at his best as a head coach. Now, whether he's getting too defensive and getting too conservative because he's worried about losing his job. Now, where's the Mike Zimmer a couple of years ago in 2019 that had the attitude of, you know what, I'm going to come in here, I'm going to coach, and if I, maybe it was 2020, but the same attitude is, I'm going to come in here, I'm going to do my thing, and if I go out in flames, I'm going to get another opportunity, and I'm going to... Come back, and I'm going to try and kick your butt. And that's good. That's good. I want that in a head coach. Tom Coughlin, better or worse, basically adopted that and won a Super Bowl. Mike Zimmer needs to – he had the theory right. The execution was bad. It was bleep it. I'm going to go out on my terms. And his terms were, yeah, we're not going to be, we're not going to be aggressive. I'm going to totally abandon that part where I was aggressive and just be super conservative because I need to go in on defense, and my defense needs to be the reason we win. And – Mike Zimmer was was good as a head coach because he was aggressive, because his defenses were aggressive. The problem is his defenses aren't aggressive. They're just not good. Now, part of that's injury. Losing Daniel Hunter doesn't help. But it's the end of – it's botched play calling in terms of being too conservative. And that comes right from the head coach speaking into a first-year offensive coordinator, which, by the way, uh, Zimmer tried to do with uh, John D. Filippo, who basically – said I'm not going to do that which led to them which led to Zimmer firing him and really the end of half situations the Vikings have been terrible at the end of both halves this year and they were terrible at the end of the first half with the timeout handling not calling one and Zimmer's like no 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 I'm going to wait till the second half where I'm going to call two back to back I'm sorry that's inexcusable I don't care what you heard I know the official stories that Zimmer heard somebody yelling to call timeout I don't care what you heard I don't care what you said. I don't care what happened. That's inexcusable. There's just some mistakes that you just can't come back from. And really, it just it, it doesn't help the Vikings in this situation. It, it just doesn't. End of halves. They've lost the Arizona game. They've lost the Cincinnati game. 
They lost this game against Dallas. All because, and even the one against Cleveland, all of their losses this year have come to botched end-of-half situations. And you look, you know, they talk about, this Vikings team is talented. They're a good team. They just have to, they've just gotten some bad breaks. No, they haven't. They haven't exit. They're a good team. They're good on paper. They just don't execute in the most important times of the game. And I'm sorry, that's what separates good teams from bad teams. The Vikings aren't dumpster fire. They're worse. They're middle of the road. And here's the thing with Mike Zimmer's aggressiveness, by the way. I, when you when you look at this, is uh, Ed Werder of ESPN said when he spoke to Mike Zimmer, he said that he would change his defensive strategy with Cooper Rush in his Dallas quarterback, force Rush to beat the team, loaded boxes to stop the Cowboys' run game. But according to Courtney Cronin of ESPN, Minnesota only loaded the box on 17% of Dallas's rushing attempts, which was the fifth lowest rate in Week 8. They let a backup QB beat them. This is Cronin speaking now. Beat them because they allowed for it. And that's 100% true. It just is. It, it, they, again, you play to lose. You play scared. Now, good coaches adapt to their team every year. And I think this is, this is the biggest thing. Is Zimmer is trying to put a square peg in a round hole. And you saw this early last season too, which is where my defense, we need to win through defense. We need to win because our defense is good. And my defense is run this way, and that's how we're going to do it. Good coaches adapt. Bill Belichick, you know, in the Patriots dynasty prime here, uh, would adapt week by week. Every single week, it was, all right, Tom, we're playing this team. It's time to pass all game. Oh, we're playing this team? Yeah, we're going to run all game. Like, they're just, you, you picked your moments when we need to be super aggressive passing. We need to be super aggressive running. Zimmer wants to be super aggressive running all the time. And running for the sake of running. And some games you just can't do that. And you need to accept that. And you need to figure it out. Zimmer's been trying to peg round holes, square pegs into round holes, because he he thinks that we need to win with defense. And I don't think that's a bad strategy. When you have the 2017 Vikings out there, and it's let's run through defense, control the clock, and be efficient in the passing game, that's good. Good strategy. That's fine. When it's the 20. 20 Vikings when it's the 2021 Vikings we need to lead with defense and our passing game just needs our offense needs to go through the run and pass game needs to do just enough I'm sorry I was on board with it in 2019 I'm not on board with this situation now especially when this offense has potential you have Thielen and Jefferson and Dig or uh, not Dig and Cook and you have just everything and it's just a mess it is all just a mess with this and he, I said all season, you know, the Vikings defense doesn't appear to be that strong. The offense appears to be stronger than we gave it credit for. Why don't we lean a little bit more into being an offensive team? Because that can take the pressure off of our defense if you allow the offense to score. Like if you get aggressive enough to allow the offense to score maybe a touchdown or more per game. And sure, that opens it up for more mistakes. It opens you up to get beat a little bit more in time of possession. Opens it up more for the chance of a silly Kirk fumble. But... A silly Kirk fumble or a silly Kirk interception was a lot more unvaluable, was a lot worse for the team in 2019, 2018, when the defense was good or at least better, and that was how you won your games. The defense isn't good enough to keep you in games. The defense is a detriment to your team. So you need to win by scoring a bunch. And if Kirk Cousins throws three interceptions or has a couple bad fumbles, I'm sorry, that's not my worst priority anymore. The defense isn't up to snuff, and that's been the issue all year. And that's just the biggest thing. I think Zimmer had his Childress 
uh, maybe Leslie Frazier moment, but I'm going to call it a Brad Childress moment because Frazier, he wasn't a bad coach. He just kind of needed, they needed to make a change. Zimmer was the right change at the time. But to Brad Childress is one who the fan base was openly calling to get fired. Like everybody in the Vikings locker room wanted Childress fired. Leslie Frazier had like Adrian Peterson. He didn't like ask for it, but Adrian Peterson and a few of other Vikings players went up to the Wilfs and basically like, hey, we would like to keep him as head coach. So there was like actually some, it was a tougher firing. There wasn't as many fans calling for Frazier to get fired. Now this time, uh, I would say the fan base has officially turned on Mike Zimmer. The media has officially, and I don't mean turn like the media is calling for him to be fired, but it's actively now the conversation is not if, the conversation is when. And that's when the Vike, and I think that's more of it. It's not like the fan, it's not like uh, the fan base is at the point where they're going to boo Mike Zimmer or at the point where they're going to, you know, so maybe it's not as aggressive as a Brad Childress moment, but at the same time, it is certainly, uh, the fan base has turned on Zimmer to the point where everybody expects him to be gone after this season. Because all the Vikings can hope for is to go like eight and nine, squeak into the playoffs on a seven seed, be competitive, maybe win, and then get to tell ownership you're about to turn the corner. When in reality, your wheels are still spinning and sure you might move a little bit forward, but it's like to the tune of maybe an extra win. And in that case, the cycle just keeps continuing until it eventually really does all fall apart and your team ends up and then you end up getting fired anyways. It's all just prolonging the inevitable. And I think that's been the issue for the Vikings with the last couple of years. But this is the Childress Frazier moment where everybody turned on him. And it's only a matter of time before the locker room does turn on Zimmer. And you look at uh, Blake Baratz. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. He's the agent for Adam Thielen. He's the agent for CJ Ham and a whole bunch of other Vikings. Not a ton, but a few other, a small handful, a nice chunk of Vikings players. He was not happy after the game. He tweeted yes, or, uh, Sunday night that something needs to change. And he said he had enough and he was going to let his feelings out. And then kind of backed off that because he kind of expected him to. Like he was very emotional after the game and probably had some players issuing like these complaints to him before. And then this game he was like, all right, like I'm going to like vent, vent this out through me and nobody really knows who it is. I guess it's Thielen. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, he had to go out on Twitter and be like, because he said, tomorrow I'm going to let my thoughts out. And then on Monday he was like, yeah, okay, it was a little bit overblown. Nobody wants to leave, which that wasn't the question. Nobody was thinking that Thielen or C.J. Ham, by the way, who's eight, who should be getting a raise, giving a raise to Baratz or something for how well uh, C.J. Ham has been uh, doing stuff. Baratz should be asking for more money from Ham because uh, after all the dump offs on third down he got, and it's again he, I think I think it's Thielen. I think Adam Thielen uh, is very frustrated with Zimmer. There were comments he made after the game, like uh, basically just hinting that. Uh, this we're not being as aggressive as we should be. We're not doing X. We're not doing Y right. And basically not directly saying it, not even passive aggressively saying it. I just think the way you read his comments and the way you read his agent being upset, I think it's got to be Thielen. I think he's not only he's actively calling to fire Zimmer, but I think he's gotten to the point where, man, if he gets fired, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. And keep in mind who Thielen's good friend was, Stefan Diggs. And he didn't leave the – Stephon Diggs didn't want out of Minnesota because of Kirk Cousins. Stephon Diggs wanted out of Minnesota because of the – not because he didn't like Mike Zimmer, but because he disagreed about how Mike Zimmer was going about the offense. And I think that's what's going to bury Mike Zimmer. It's not that the players don't like him. It's that they just don't think he can do it anymore from that perspective, especially with the defense 
falling apart like it is. Zimmer's going to be here till January, though, unless the team is a 2011-style meltdown where you get destroyed by Green Bay at home and you just have to fire the team. Also because your wide receiver, Percy Harvin, had to be separated from the head coach in practice. Uh, it's it's not going to end well. I think that's just – it's not going to end well for Zimmer, but he'll make it to January, maybe. I think there's a strong chance he makes it to January, though, barring some kind of epic collapse or unless the team loses like six in a row because you're the, the associate head coach is Zimmer's good friend, Andre Patterson, and he's co-defensive coordinator because I really don't think – Either he doesn't want it or, like, they just know that it's a lot to give him the defensive coordinator job. He probably doesn't really want it. And he probably just wants to keep being a position coach. And does he want to be the – I mean, he would be the only one, I would assume, unless there's some other guy on staff, a special teams coach of some kind. They pull Gary Kubiak out of somewhere. Uh, That's – it's just going to be Zimmer. And lastly here, one thing I want to touch on with Kirk Cousins and the lack of aggressiveness, and we can save that for a little bit tomorrow because we've been talking – for 20 minutes here about the Vikings, which is a lot. And we got some Wild and Wolves stuff to get to and Gopher stuff as well. But uh, Kirk Cousins, 1 of 13 on third down on Sunday. The offense is 15th in points scored and hasn't scored a second-half touchdown at home all season. And only like a couple in the road games this year. Kirk Cousins and Kirk Cousins is the guy who follows instructions. And I think it's coming up from the offensive coordinator who's taking beats from the head coach. We'll talk about that more this week. There's a lot to talk about. So we'll leave the, we'll leave the cousin stuff and uh, offensive coordinator issues to tomorrow's conversation. But uh, let's talk here for a second about uh, the Minnesota wild who just played last night and COVID, uh, excuse me, uh, COVID had been an issue for the wild as they had a few players out, but they managed to get a good win against uh, against Ottawa yesterday at home. And it was in overtime, so they only got two points out of it. But they're still 6-3. and three. They still have a solid enough record for the first couple weeks. They haven't sunk their season. And that's really all that matters in the first kind of month and change of the year. But I said last week, I said, should we be worried about Kaprizov? No. And Ian Rivers, friend of the show, I tweeted this last night. I said it was always... Uh, really dumb that or I didn't phrase it like that, but I was like, it was always kind of overblown how we talk about Kaprizov. And he was like, uh, this you like, and talking about to me referencing uh, that, like, should we be worried about Kaprizov? And my answer was no last week on the podcast. You can go back and listen to it. And it just wasn't. It, I said, Kaprizov is a talented player. He's still doing things on the ice. He's still doing assists. He's still making plays on the puck. He's still just, he can skate, man. He can just skate all over the place. So I was like, even though he's not scoring goals, he had zero goals up until last night where he scored the game winner in overtime. And it was that thing. It was, he's contributing in other ways, but we just scored a game winner in overtime after not scoring a goal all year. Yeah, that tells me he's fine. He's fine. I'm sorry. If he was really in a slump, he wouldn't have scored a goal in overtime. It's just not how it would have went. And I think Kaprizov is going to be fine. He's a talented player who just had a rough patch. His rough patch, or I should say, just kind of had, again, a long season for players like this, you have ups and downs. You have weeks where you don't play well. You have weeks where you do play well. And Kaprizov was just in kind of that two-week rut in the first two weeks of the season, and that creates your impression. All it takes is for Kaprizov to get hot for a couple weeks and then everybody to completely forget that we even talked about this. So good win for the Wild last night. They got back on the winning track, and that was really what mattered. Even though you know, a team like Ottawa isn't really that formidable, you still just take the win. It's a win in the NHL. And you move on. You play the Penguins on Saturday. 
and just focus on that. You get a few, you get a nice uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off to kind of uh, rest up. So I think the Wild are going to be, uh, they're going to be just fine in terms of that. And again, the Kaprizov stuff is always a little bit overblown. It's kind of trying to find early storylines in the lion, in the Wild season. And he had the big contract. He had all the other stuff to where, you know, people would be like, is he, is, is, did they spend all this money for nothing? Is it this, is it that? Kaprizov's fine. And I think that's, uh, that's the big end of story with that one. For the Timberwolves on Monday night, hey, how about that loss to Orlando? A way to give Jalen Suggs a good homecoming, guys. That was really what it's about. The old Timberwolves have shown up here, by the way. And I, I had been saying this. I tweeted this after the game on Monday night where they lost to the Magic by just completely falling apart in the fourth quarter. The Wolves shot 37% from the field, by the way. Just... I, they're, they're a team that's flawed. They're a very talented team. But the reason I said, guys, pump the brakes on the Wolves a little bit, they're flawed. They've always were flawed. Rosas put talent on the floor, sure. They, they're flawed. They are not big. Outside of Cat, they really can't rebound. Outside of, you know, if the Wolves play, they don't have, outside of Anthony Edwards, they don't have a player that can attack the rim. So, again, who, who do you have that can, you're not versatile in terms of your offense. And the defense is sure improved, I'll give it that. But at the same time, uh, your offense is taking a step back. And there's a little bit of give and take there. I don't think it's mutually exclusive that because your defense gets better, your offense has to get bad. But Anthony Edwards, again, just being real, he's like, you know, sometimes when our shots aren't falling, we take it out on our defense and we don't play as well. Correct. Correct. The thing I love most about Anthony Edwards is his ability to just call it like he sees it. And he's, I mean, he's not going to fix it just by pointing it out. But he is realizing what's been wrong with the Timberwolves franchise for the last, basically since 2004, since or since 2007 maybe until they traded Kevin Garnett. You know, that, those are the issues with it is that the team doesn't play well. And when the team doesn't really play well, it impacts in one area, it impacts the rest of their game. And again, shooting 37%. From the floor is not a winning strategy. Uh, if you look at the free throws, you want to look at the free throws for that game? Yeah, they weren't very good either. The Wolves were under 60% from the free throw line. In the NBA, guys, this is the NBA. I don't, I know free throws aren't always automatic, but the Magic made 80%. Three pointers, you only made it, uh, just a little bit over 25% of your threes. You shot 50 of them. 51. You only made 14. Again, this is a Wolves team that uh, they outshot Orlando, by the way. They outshot him by a mile. The only difference was is that, uh, by the way, on rebounds, uh, the on the defensive boards especially, the they got out-rebounded by Orlando. And Orlando is not a good team. They're not a good team at all. So it's just... That's the thing. With without they couldn't hit from three, and when this team now they don't have D'Angelo Russell, they didn't have Patrick Beverly. I understand that, but this team should still have been talent. If you want to be a playoff team, I don't care that you lost two of those players. Cat and Ant are still your two best players. You should still be able to win against a bad team like Orlando, and you didn't. And now you have the Clippers, who are also not doing well because of Kawhi not being in the lineup. So there's another chance for you to get have a get-right game and figure it out 
Will they? That's That remains to be seen. They actually have two uh, home games in a row against the Clippers. It's kind of an interesting scheduling thing by the NBA. I don't necessarily hate it, but it is weird in the regular season. And at first I hated it, but then Chris Finch in a press conference brought up the point that it kind of makes it feel like a playoff atmosphere. You know, you play a team, you wait a day, maybe two, then you go play them again. That's how the playoffs work. And I just say that's great. This would be good for helping the Wolves prepare. But again, I'm not going to think that the Wolves are a playoff team until they actually prove it. And the Wolves had a very good opportunity at the beginning of the season to take advantage of a poor schedule, and they're not doing it. That's And that's the thing that's been frustrating with the Minnesota Timberwolves is they have every opportunity in front of them to succeed, and they just find a way to screw it up. And that's why I've said that this that don't give the Wolves the benefit of the doubt until they actually prove that they're good enough, until they actually prove they can do it. With the Twins, with the Wild, with the Vikings, you know, you could look at them, and the Lynx especially, you know, you could look at them and say, hey, this team should be pretty good this year, and you can get some hype in that because they've shown you that they can take advantage of the hype. That, that they don't, that when they get you hyped up, when they get you invested in a team, they don't completely blow it. The Wolves, when they get you invested in the team, they completely blow it. And that's why you, they're the Cleveland Browns of the NBA. Maybe the New York Jets is the better analogy now. But every single time that they bring in some young players, they get you hoped on a few guys or a new coach. Doesn't necessarily mean people are bad. It just means that the infrastructure of this team and the way that they're ran, things just don't work out. And that's, I'm trying not to be pessimistic because I really, I, basketball in Minnesota would be so good if it was, if it was successful. You imagine the target center if the Wolves were successful. You imagine if the Wolves even weren't just like, they didn't have to be a Lakers. They didn't have to be like a, a Western Conference powerhouse. Imagine if they're just like a Utah. Or they're like good teams that consistently made the playoffs. Like a, like a Dallas. Again, teams that generally make the playoffs. You imagine if they were that. You imagine how good the target center would be. People would be talking about the target center as a tough place to play. But they're not because fans don't go because they've been burnt since 2004 that this team isn't worth their salt. So that's the thing with the Wolves. And again, the Wolves have talent. I love watching Cat, and I love watching Ant. And I, like, I, this is a talented group, and they're a group that if they win, I could see the Minnesota really liking. They liked Jimmy Butler a couple of years ago, but they soured on that. At least a, a, a good chunk of the fan base did. And it just didn't feel like there was a cohesiveness. There's more of a cohesiveness with this Wolves. And if they won, you'd really get to see it, and I think Minnesota would really like it which is why they need to win, and they need to turn this thing around. They have an opportunity against the Clippers, but again, they have to take advantage of it, and I just can't give them the benefit of the doubt until they actually start doing it. All right, let's take a second here and wrap up this podcast, and let's talk about the uh, Gophers here. I, I really want to talk about this matchup, or, or this uh, game last week with the Gophers, and they won in dominant fashion over a hapless Northwestern team. And unfortunately, another running back went out for the Gophers. Bryce Williams is out for the season. The Gophers only have three running backs left on the roster. But uh, you want to know the good news, though, is one of them is uh, Buck Irving. His, his name is actually his nickname is actually Bucky Irving. But you know the, the story that I like telling because it's a good story. Uh, his nickname was Bucky. It was given to him by his mom. And in recruiting... Once he agreed to come to Minnesota, PJ looked at his mom and said, yeah, we're going to have to call him Bucko. We are not going to call him Bucky at all so, because of the Wisconsin Badgers mascot, Bucky. So, but they won 41-14 to at Northwestern on the road. Northwestern is not a good team. 
but going on the road and getting a, a statement win like that is important uh, to show that hey, not only you know we learned our lesson from Bowling Green. Not only did we uh, not only did we win, we showed that we are far better team than they are. And Bucky Irving, uh, Marquis Irving, he got 19 carries, 110 yards, averaged six yards a carry, and two touchdowns. Kai Thomas, the other running back, he got uh, 106 yards on 21 carries. No touchdowns, but averaged five yards a carry as well. And Bryce Williams only had two carries for nine yards before going down. It stinks because the Gophers only have two scholarship running backs left on their roster. That's not good. The Gophers were bringing in their linebacker at the end of last against uh, Northwestern when it was blowout time because they didn't want to risk hurting one of their backup running backs in, in garbage time because they it's all hands on deck at that point for the Gophers. They were bringing in one of the linebackers. His name escapes me, but he was like a really good running back in Wisconsin high school. But – Still, they're they're down in that. P.J. Fleck is really taking the pair and the spare mentality uh, to heart this year, and it, it comes at a great time. They have, but the Gophers have had four running backs this year go through the program. You had Ibrahim, you had Potts, you had Williams, and you have Irving, and then to even an extent, you also have Kai Thomas. Where are they getting all these guys? They talk about for a second there when the Gophers had Bateman and Tyler Johnson. They were saying like, oh, are the Gophers wide receiver you? Or at least like that was the chatter among Gopher fans. And maybe running back you because consistently just been pumping out some of these good running backs. And Irving is a four-star recruit, by the way. I mean, these, are, these aren't just like Jerry Kill guys that were nice players that are taking advantage of a really good offensive line, which, by the way, having all these running backs come in to be successful is a huge product of your offensive line and how good that they've gotten it to that point. And make no mistake, they would still be fine but to have this much success comes from they have some dudes on the offensive line, and it really does uh, really does show. And the all the Gophers are all alone in the Big Ten West. That's the most fun part about this. But the biggest thing is it still doesn't matter unless you beat Iowa and Wisconsin, which, by the way, you have four games left. You have those two games on the schedule. Looking at the Gophers' schedule for the rest of the season, they have Illinois coming up at home. Illinois is a trap game for sure, and the Gophers have fallen to this trap against Illinois. Mainly in 20, uh, 2014 was the big one where they lost to Illinois, and it would have, uh, wouldn't have won them the Big Ten West, but certainly would have helped their confidence uh, towards the end of the year. It was a bad loss uh, on the road at Illinois. But this one's at home against the Illini. Brent Bielema, by the way, Bielema was the coach of Wisconsin. He liked to run up the score against the Gophers back when the program was at about its lowest point at the end of the Tim Brewster era. So, uh, and I know that PJ Fleck wasn't around for that and like none of the coaching staff was, but a lot of the diehard fans are and make them pay because, uh, it's not one, you know, bleep Wisconsin, but the other two, uh, bleep Bielema. I mean, he's just not a, a, not a good thing you want to happen. So, uh, in terms of him running up the score all the time, just being kind of one of those one of those jerky coaches, kind of a coach who came off as a tool bag, all that kind of stuff. So there's that. And again, it still doesn't matter unless you beat Iowa and Wisconsin. It really doesn't. Because you have, again, Illinois on uh, you have Illinois on Saturday. Then you have Iowa in Iowa City. That's a big one. And then you have at Indiana, Wisconsin at home. And Taking a look at the Big Ten West standings here, if you look at the Big Ten West, 
the Gophers are four and one. And if Minnesota beats Minnesota has to beat Iowa and Wisconsin because Wisconsin is three and two. If the Gophers go win, if the Gophers beat Illinois, they beat Iowa, they beat Indiana, but then they lose to Wisconsin because Wisconsin's probably also going to win out based on the rest of their schedule and how that looks. Uh, the Wisconsin's in the Big Ten championship game. And even when Wisconsin was at a low point about a month ago, they were about like third or fourth in the Big Ten West, I said, guys, look out because Wisconsin can all of a sudden just start winning a bunch of games out of nowhere. They have Rutgers, Northwestern, Nebraska, and then Minnesota. Unless Nebraska all of a sudden pulls something out, uh, they have a chance. They really do. And Iowa, I mean, they're the next team up. Iowa's schedule uh, for the rest of the year, and we've talked about this already, but they have Northwestern this week, and then after they play Minnesota, then they play Illinois and Nebraska. So the top three teams, I don't even want to say top three teams anymore because I think the way the Big Ten West standings have worked out is it's actually dropped Iowa to fourth. Purdue is actually in third place. There's still an outside chance, but they need to uh, they need to win a lot, and they need they need to win out, and they need to hope that Minnesota and Wisconsin slip up a lot. And Purdue has to play Michigan State and Ohio State back to back back to back. Excuse me. So there is no way that they are going to be representing the Big Ten West at all. Um, and if they beat those two teams, then they they need to be going to like the Rose Bowl or something, or they need to be getting into the playoff based on those two wins alone. And Looking at, uh, again, the defense has been dominating for this team. Looking at the defensive stats, they've been averaging 16 points per game in October. It's been really, really good for this team. And by the way, it's showing that this team uh, keeps winning. And this team is, there's that vision. They're really, P.J. Fleck has changed the culture of the program. And it's why that P.J. Fleck has gotten an extension today. So this was announced by uh, the university, or at least it broke, that uh, P.J. Fleck has been extended for seven years. He uh, gets a new seven-year contract, and uh, this is according to Tom Van Haren of ESPN. It says Minnesota coach P.J. Fleck, and uh, Minnesota coach P.J. Fleck has agreed to a new seven-year contract that will keep him with the Gophers until the 2028 season. It was announced Wednesday. The game, uh, the agreement between the university and Fleck, who is eight games into his fifth season as the Gopher head coach, is pending approval from the Board of Regents. And uh, Fleck, you know, obviously talked a lot about it. Uh, Fleck was hired in 2017, ranked sixth in total wins for the Gophers, and, of course, had the 11-win season a couple of years ago. Eight players have been drafted, and it's just, again, here's the thing. The Jerry Kill era, I, I, I still miss what could have been, and I still kind of wonder what could have happened. And they would have turned into a really Big Ten Westy school. In terms of they would have been the Iowas, the Wisconsins of the we're going to run and play great defense and have big offensive lines. And the Govers have done that this year. P.J. Fleck has a bit more of a wrinkle because of his personality and because of how he likes to really spread out the offense while also running a lot in terms of the other team's more conservative running games. But I wanted to see how the Jerry Kill area was. But after that big season where they went to the Citrus Bowl, which, by the way, they only had eight wins that year, and that was Jerry Kill's best year. They lost – Jerry Kill never won a bowl game. Tracy Clays did filling in for him. And I love Jerry Kill as a head coach. He, I will always respect Jerry Kill and the work he did for getting Minnesota out of the pit of being a terrible program. P.J. Fleck had a mess when he got here in terms of a bunch of players left. 
and you kind of a new head coach taking over for a team that was expected to go through maybe like a, a retooling year or two anyways. But Jerry Kill took it from a team that was losing to North Dakota State and a team that was getting destroyed by Brent Bielema, Wisconsin teams. And just they were hapless and there was nothing to get behind with the program. Jerry Kill got it out of there and turned it into something that Gopher fans could at least be proud of, at least something that was respectable. Sure, they weren't winning. You know, they still had trouble. They couldn't beat Wisconsin. They only beat Iowa, I think, once during Jerry Kill's time. They beat Penn State once also, by the way, and just things like that. He got it from a point where the Gophers were a circle win team where, again, I've talked about the circle win concept that Peyton Manning always brings up, which is where a coach looks through his schedule at the beginning of the year and goes, oh, okay, we're playing Minnesota, so yeah, we think we can win that one, and you circle it on your calendar like, yeah, we have Minnesota coming up. We should beat them, that kind of thing. But P.J. Fleck got an 11-win season, and last year I'm going to throw – I'm going to say COVID messed everything up and, and just the team wasn't good. And I mean, they weren't good. COVID was also a weird wrinkle. There was a whole bunch of weird stuff with that team. But now this season, outside of the loss to Bowling Green, this Gopher team has played about as well as they could have. You know, Ohio State's Ohio State at the beginning of the year. Uh, it still would be tough to play them again, especially now that Stroud has a lot more games under his belt. But they're still a good team, and they're still a team that P.J. Fleck can lead them again. He's shown that he that, that 11-win season wasn't just an aberration. He's showing that he can get this team. They're at 6-2, and two, and we feel like they should be better. Not like, wow, this team is playing above their heads. We're saying that they should be better. The expectations have been raised. Jerry Kill did that initially. P.J. Fleck is continuing to take that. And that's why it's exciting for the Gopher program to keep P.J. Fleck around. And I think he does want to stay around. He's a Midwestern guy, and uh, he's got a seven-year contract. Now, again, all contracts can be bought out. It'll be interesting to see what the buyout numbers are and all that kind of stuff. But he's a guy that wants to be here. He's a guy that really is invested in the University of Minnesota for the moment. And it's just fun to see where it goes. Row the boat, Sky Yuma, go Gophers. We'll be back tomorrow. You're listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.